0: Hey everybody! Before we get into this week's episode of the Sea Town Podcast, I just want to give you a brief update uh, as to why we took several months off. Uh, one summer, you know, family vacations, pretty busy season, in real estate, uh, pretty overwhelmed. Starting new brokerage, just changed uh, locations, uh, so we, you know, spent a bunch of money outfitting a, uh, a new space. Uh, it's much larger, uh, room to grow. Brought on board several new agents, went to a big conference in San Francisco, so uh, the, the podcast has kind of fallen by the wayside. But I want to apologize for that. Uh, any of you uh, regular listeners who uh, were waiting for the next episode to drop, here it is. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Seatown Podcast, where Seattle business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders are invited on to share their stories with us. I'm your host, Christian Harris. As the owner of an indie real estate brokerage here in Seattle, I'm naturally interested in various communities around Seattle and what makes each of them so unique and distinct and local businesses and organizations play a large part in shaping the flavor and character of the neighborhoods that we love so much. So join me as we talk with these fascinating people and explore their stories of why they started their businesses, run their nonprofits, or otherwise are making an impact in the Seattle area. Today, I'm joined by Clay Eales, the Executive Director of Southwest Seattle Historical Society. Uh, from my understanding, you've, uh, you've been involved with, the, with it uh, since it's been founded in 1984. And then in 2013, you became the first uh, Executive Director for the uh, the organization, yeah. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about you know what, what you do as the executive director for for them?
1: Well, one word is everything. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I don't literally do everything, but I'm responsible. And the the uh, idea of the job uh, is to really focus on three areas, which is fundraising outreach and volunteer recruitment okay. in addition to the overall management of the organization. Sure. The position didn't exist before 2013 and we had a consultant through a grant project tell us in 2011 that if we did not create such a position our organization would likely die. Sure. And I was on the board at the time. I jumped off the board because I didn't want to be a part of creating a job that that I might apply for, mm-hmm. and so they created the job and uh, interviewed, uh, advertised for it, interviewed for it, sure. and uh, they had the foolishness to offer me the job. And <laughs> so I've been doing it since January of 2013.
0: Sure. Well, it seems like only good things have come, uh, you know, since you've taken that, which which makes sense, and you know, I'd imagine the the impact of an organization can only really go so far strictly based on non-paid volunteer, you know.
1: Right. And to have somebody really focused on getting uh the organization out into the minds and hearts of the community sure. is a really important task uh, the, the the we we have a museum down on alki beach the birthplace of seattle log house museum and there could be a tendency for people to say oh you're just about the museum you're just about alki sure but our service area is really the entire duwamish peninsula west seattle white center south park the whole peninsula uh, bounded by the Duwamish River and and Puget Sound and Elliott Bay. And so part of my outreach focus has been to get us out into the community in a lot of different ways um, so that we still promote the fact that we have a museum and all of the programs, the great uh, collection activity and the exhibits and so forth that we have at the museum, but also to get us out into the community where people live and shop and work. Sure,
0: sure. Well, I mean, speaking of, you know, kind of the area of responsibility and, you know, getting uh, kind of outreach to the community and Mm -hmm. uh, exposure, I mean, what what would you, uh, how would you describe what uh, Southwest Seattle Historic Society is is all about? What's their main objective?
1: Well, every nonprofit has a mission statement. Ours is really short and easy to remember. We promote local history through three ways, through education, preservation, and advocacy and so those three words are sitting on my shoulder all the time education preservation and advocacy and often the things that we do kinda cover all three bases at once that's when you hit a home run there Uh, and and these are the kinds of things that really touch people who live here in this area i mean this is a special area there's no doubt about it i mean I, i use this phrase west seattle is the best seattle and i mean it from the bottom of my heart i mean everybody is attached to his or her own hometown or where they live for one reason or another but this place is truly special the geography the history all of the things that came before to make it the attractive place that it is today.
0: Sure. Now maybe you could give us a little uh, little backstory about, about yourself and like how you got involved and why you decided to take on the, the role of the, uh, the ED.
1: Well, you know, uh, <laughs> before I even knew it, history was in my veins, West Seattle history. Okay. We're sitting in an office here that's right across from Hiawatha Park, right. and three short blocks away is where my mom grew up, and okay. uh, I, I have to whisper this around here in West Seattle, but I grew up on Mercer Island. <laughs> <laughs> and people think of Mercer Island as this place with all these mansions and stuff, but, sure. but it's, when it's I was a kid in yeah. the 50s, it was a bunch of three bedroom ramblers. And, sure. and uh, my parents moved us there when I was four years old. Mm-hmm. But my mom's home was here in West Seattle, right across from the wading pool here at Hiawatha Park. And we came over to visit my grandparents all the time, and there was nothing my grandmother wanted to do more than to take us down to Spud Fish and Chips and have us run around in the beach. And yeah. then, then pretty soon you get Schmitz Park and you get uh, Husky Deli, and then you get Lincoln Park, and you're in, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is feels like home. Sure. You know, um, when you're an adult, you decide to take on to, to to lay down roots, and this is where I wanted to come, and I've. Uh, I was down in Oregon for a dozen years. I went to school there and worked for the Oregonian for 8 years and, okay. and but I really wanted to get back up here and so in 82 we moved here. And I was you know I was a newspaper journalist. I worked for four papers for 15 years. And as a journalist, you're sitting on the side taking notes. You're not in the action. Uh-huh. But I became editor of the West Seattle Herald here. This is before the internet, of course. Right. Yeah, yeah. And this was a strong paper, you know, a broadsheet paper. I had a news staff of five, and we did some great journalism then. And right then, the West Seattle Bridge was under construction and opened in 1984. We did a historical section, 104 page section called Bridging the Gap. And then not long after that, we devoted a whole year. To putting together a history book of West Seattle, mm-hmm. called West Side Story, which, and um, came out in July of 2000. Or excuse me, it came out in July of 1987. Okay. Which is this is uh, the 30th anniversary is coming up here in July. So that history book is what really changed me from this objective journalist mm-hmm. to an activist on behalf of history. I mean, once you immerse yourself in the history of this peninsula. There's no going back. Sure, (laughs) and so that's why the historical society for me. And then I've been in communication all my life, Mm -hmm. and I've been in positions where I've worked very close to fundraisers as well. Uh, And so this position of fundraising, outreach, and volunteer recruitment really just seemed to fit me like a glove. And plus, my background in West Seattle. I mean, the overarching thing is you gotta love it. Yeah. Whatever you do, you gotta love it. But to do the historical society, you really have to love the area. And it's, it's not a stretch to say that anybody, you or anybody who is attached to West Seattle, the reason we're here is not because of us. It's because of what people who came before us built sure. for us. Yeah. I like to say we stand on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. So once you know that kind of stuff by going to events or the exhibits or whatever, it becomes food for your soul. Mm-hmm. So that's why me and the Historical Society, and you, you got to love it, and I do. Sure, I do.
0: sure. I mean, it sounds like with your background, your your passion, like that that role, you know, is really ideal for uh, for you. I mean, what um, what would you say that you love most about uh, about being involved, being the executive director of of the Historical Society?
1: Well, it all comes down to. And it, and, it, and it isn't even about the historical society. it's any pursuit, I think, but let's just take the historical society. You may think, oh, it's about the stuff, you know, the artifacts, or it's about saving buildings or whatever. Anything you name, if you go to a little deeper level, I think it's really about bringing people together for common purpose. Okay. That's all it is. Yeah. You know, and, the, and the, the stuff is the excuse for getting us together. So what I enjoy the most is the contact with people. Um, to me, that's the juice of life. Uh, you know, I don't care what you believe about religion or, 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 you know, the deeper thoughts about why are we here. But I would guess that it doesn't matter what you believe. You would agree that we're not supposed to be hermits. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to engage people. We're supposed to inspire people, connect with people. In fact, that's what we're doing in this podcast right, right. now. You know, so, so this is a, the job that I've had in the historical society is really about getting people together. Sure. And it's, and it, and, and it's about taking risks. Life is nothing without a risk. And I'm taking a risk right now. Mm-hmm. You know, When I say something to you, you may not like it. So maybe I shouldn't say anything, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's the kind of, you know, and, and, and it drives me nuts that we're teaching little kids that life is all about pushing buttons on a piece of plastic. Sure, That's one-way communication. The real juice of life, the risk, and the tremendous reward is in taking the risk of communicating with others. Yeah. The best way to do that is face-to-face.
0: Yeah, I mean, face-to-face is obviously the, the deepest and purest form of, of communication, everything else is a, a lesser, you know, Absolutely. Uh, mediated you know, type, you know, that's, that's trying to replace, you know, I mean, with, you know, kind of the mission of the historic society, uh, you know, more or less being to connect people to, you know, attach us to the history and have us understand, you know, kind of why West Seattle is mm-hmm. the way it is now and why it looks the way it does and why we love it so much. Um, what would you say are some of the, the more notable accomplishments uh, or involvements that the, the historic society has, has been involved with?
1: We just finished a major landmark campaign in the West Seattle Junction. And if you ask anybody who's familiar with the junction, which is our prime business district on yeah. the peninsula, what are the two buildings without which there wouldn't be a junction anymore? It would, it, almost unanimously, people would say, the Campbell Building and the Ham Building. Mm-hmm. Those are the two uh, cornerstones of the Junction. The Campbell Building, the main tenant is Cupcake Royale, yes. built in 1911. And the Ham Building, the main tenant is Easy Street Records, mm-hmm. built in 1926. We just this winter and spring uh, successfully pursued a campaign to get city landmark status for those buildings. Mm-hmm. And it was a huge effort. Our We Love the Junction task force. Uh, did a great job and those buildings will be there forever for our kids and grandkids and for the generations we'll never see. Sure
0: which which is especially important when you're looking at the changing face of West Seattle with all the the new you know you know relatively you know high-rise you know modern buildings. It's funny
1: you use the phrase the changing face of West Seattle Mm -hmm. that's the name of the series that we did in the Herald for four weeks when the West Seattle Bridge opened. Oh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> in 1984. 30, yeah, 30 years and we later. had an editorial cartoon showing the bridge open and all these trucks, pickup trucks with condos in the back of the pickup trucks <laughs> roaring over the bridge.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess it goes in waves, right? <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: I wanna I wanna yeah. be really clear though about landmarking. Um, it's important to 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 really get inside your head. That we're not about uh, saving everything. Mm-hmm. You, you you can't save everything for once, and you really don't want to save everything. The real trick is to save the good stuff. Sure. And so the real juice of that is, what is the good stuff, right, yeah. and I mean, how, how do you, do you figure you, that out? Right. And with the junction, we had a professional architectural historian, and we did a study that went for two years, and then and we involved the public, including interviewing the property owners, and mm-hmm. you know this is a. This isn't just a wave your fingers and something's a landmark. It takes a lot of work sure. and it takes a lot of head work to figure out what are the true landmarks of the community that really define us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. it makes sense. Now, recently, uh, just the other day, actually, I read on the West Seattle blog that uh, you're actually going to be stepping down as the executive, executive director in July. Um, could you give us a little more information about you know, maybe what's, what's next for you? you know, what, what do you have in store? I am in a
1: blissful state of I don't know, okay. <laughs> but it's important to, to realize that this has been a continuum for me, even though I've been doing the executive director job for more than four years, I've really been involved with the organization for more than three decades, mm-hmm. and I'm not going anywhere. I'll be involved after this as well. I mean, this is just the kind of a, an issue or a, uh, a topic that all of us face at sometime or another in our lives of when to move on to the next chapter. And I feel like we have really built a lot, our our mission and our track record of accomplishment, and we've got a strong board. These things really bode well for the future. Mm -hmm. And I feel very confident that some successor candidates will pop up, people who are connected to West Seattle who love it and have the kind of skills to promote the mission of our organization. And so I don't have any trepidation that there will be that we will do anything but grow as an organization. As far as what I'm going to do, number one, I want to spend some more time with my wife. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have, you know, this is probably something that a lot of people can relate to. I mean, in America, we let our jobs become our life, and I, I, it's been the story of my life. No matter whether I've worked at the Hutch or at the Herald or Mm -hmm. at the Historical Society or several other positions. It's just uh, I, I've thrown myself into the work, and I would like to spend more time not only on family stuff but uh, improving my health, you know. Physical health doesn't uh, often come at the forefront of a job that you throw yourself into. Sure. Um, some part-time things, I don't even know. Opportunities will come to me, I'm sure. Uh, and, I, you know, it's... People have been throwing this word retirement at me, and you know maybe technically I'll be retired because the technical definition is that's when you take social security, and I'm anticipating doing that this summer, starting that. But also the general societal definition of retirement is you're done, right? and which, I ain't done. <laughs> yeah, which, which
0: seems very sad to me. I, mean, I think the best definition of retirement that I've heard was you get to a place in life where you don't have to work. Mm-hmm. You know, you do you uh, do you plan on staying on uh, on the board after you uh, step down?
1: Um, I I don't and antist- I, I, let's see. I don't know what role I'll be with the historical society. Um, we have our biggest fundraiser of the year is the gala every November. Yep. I'm sure I'll have a table there. Okay. Um, as far as on the board or other things, um, I think it's going to be healthy. If you imagine in any job. Uh, where the successor comes in, you don 't want to have the predecessor trying to rule from the grave and sure. sitting on the shoulder sure. and shadowing you, yeah. so I think there 's going to be some distance for a while, mm-hmm. and exactly what role i 'll have afterward i don 't know but but you know West Seattle gets under your skin and I'm not, i 'm not one way or another i 'll be helping out and sure. and, and there 's just a lot of uh, i mean there 's a lot of history yet to be written. I mean, one thing people have told me every once in a while is, "Well, gee, West Side Story is a great book, but it came out 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. When are you going to update it?" Well, it'll take a little time.
0: Sure, yeah. <laughs> but the,
1: it is prime for an update and a different kind of model because, you know, to make it uh, live into the future, it may need to be an online type of thing rather than a physical book. Mm-hmm. But. But I think there is some possibility for not only me, but other people to be involved in doing something in the future on behalf
0: of history here. Sure. That totally makes sense. Um, so, I, you know, in your role as uh, the first executive director for, for the society, um, what, what do you find the most, most challenging aspect of that?
1: Well, you know, the challenging aspect is the same challenge of any job, and that is taking initiative and you know inertia is a powerful force we're sitting here in chairs we could just sit here it's so comfortable just sit and sit and sit and the best advice i ever had about fundraising is that fundraising comes down to four words it's very easy pick up the phone (laughs) pick up the phone a real estate salesman can get into that Um, pick up the phone is an analogy for take the initiative and set up meetings with people. Go have coffee, go have lunch. Just Magic happens when you just engage in conversation with people. And the worst thing that anybody being executive director of our organization could do is to just hole up at the museum. And there's a lot of administrivia that can keep you doing that. Mm -hmm. And if I'm doing my job and if any future executive director is doing his or her job, They're not at the museum. They're out in the community meeting and talking with people and just asking them why do they love it here and and getting to know them. Right. They're they're connecting with the community, yeah. And the best kind of fundraising really happens when you get to that point in the conversation where they ask you, so how can I help you? And that happens
0: all the time. Sure.
1: The challenge is to get up out of the chair and go meet people.
0: Yeah. So you kind of allude to at least, you know, in regard to fundraising, but uh, what, what's the best advice that you say you've, you've ever received? About anything? Yeah.
1: There was a, a former pastor who told me about uh, 20 years or so ago, and it's a very simple phrase. He said, life is anticipation. And that doesn't mean that you don't live in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Of course you live in the present moment and you relish it and you, 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 you embrace it. But I think what he meant by that is that it's good to have something that you're working on, something that you're looking forward to, something uh, some of your listeners may remember a a departed uh, West Seattle giant named Bob Grieve, who served in the state legislature and the county council and was an attorney here, and he was a legend here uh, in the 20th century. Uh, He he said, the way he looked at it is, I've always got to have a mountain you know, a mountain to climb. Mm-hmm. Uh, so life is anticipation. That really motivates me. I mean, um, I've always got in my head these projects that could be done, you know, sure. and the idea is, you know, which one, you know? So what What are you anticipating doing? And then when you throw yourself into it with, with passion, you know, if it's something you really love, you will gather people to you. Sure. His passion is tremendously inspiring to people. Sure. Um, One of my wife and I's favorite movies uh, is Jerry Maguire, and Renee Zellweger's character in there says at one point, I just want to be inspired. Sure. You know, well, what are you inspired about? Well, life is anticipation, there's a project you can work on.
0: Mm -hmm. The Historic Society is obviously about, you know, the Essentially, the larger, you know, culture of West Seattle and you know the, the history that's that's led it there. You know, when you break down what culture is, you're it's humans cultivating the potential of an area or, or whatever, and, and that's, I mean, and you can't do that without you know having this forward thinking, anticipation, hope. Like, what, what are we building? What are we going for? You know, what inspires us to, to keep it's going? It's true.
1: Um, you know, if you ask somebody not familiar with heritage organizations or historical societies, well, what do they do? They might be thinking, oh, that's just dust and spider webs. They they collect old stuff. They yes. just, you know, and, and it's, you know, n- nothing dynamic. But when, when it, what it really is, is forward-looking. Uh, one of the things that has inspired me the most is our founder, Elliot Cowden, who's been gone now for a dozen years, but he had our board pass a resolution 12 years ago stated that the needs and interests of young people are our highest priority and so i keep that in my mind and on my shoulder as i'm moving along and that means the future that Mm -hmm. is what are we doing with the kids i mean as adults to a greater or lesser degree we all appreciate and understand what is why heritage is important but we got to get the kids involved and again and reach their hearts one way that we've tried to do that and it's been pretty inspiring is to do these group hug photo events. We've now done it for three years in a row and we're doing two more uh, in the next couple of months. Um, The first one was when our totem pole was unveiled at our museum in 2014. and We had 1,300 people in the street to witness the unveiling and there were 900 elementary kids who walked to that. The next year we did the same thing at the Alki Homestead. And the reason we call it a group hug is that the resulting photo, taken from a high angle on top of a lift truck, it looks like the people are actually hugging the building. Okay. And we had a 1,000 students in front of the homestead and another 100 chaperones and adults. And then last year, just a block down the street, we had the group hug for the Admiral Theater mm-hmm. to celebrate that historic building's rejuvenation because now it's got four screens without harming any of the historic features that we got landmarked 28 years ago. sure. And that's kids. Yeah. The two that are coming up are about schools. So it's people of any age. The Fontlore Schoolhouse and West Seattle High School are celebrating their centennials this year. Those yeah. buildings have been around 100 years. So we're doing a group hug in front of the Fontlore Schoolhouse uh, on May 21st at 1130 and West Seattle High School on June 3rd at 6.30 to coincide with the all-school reunion that they have every year. And it's an event that's geared around, this kind of an event is is, is all about the photo Mm -hmm. because people want to be in something that's making history and then we make these large posters of the photo and at street fairs and at the museum and other events Literally, kids come running up to the photo with their fingers out, and they right. look, and they look, and they say, that's me.
0: Yeah.
1: And they do that the next year and the next year, and mm-hmm. just imagine, that's going to be in their hearts for the rest of their lives. I was there. Sure. I was part of history. And you bet that'll connect them to West Seattle.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's cool that you know, the, the founder you know, had that resolution that was looking forward, you know, trying to change kind of the reputation, get the newer generation involved, and in, you know, the value of history, and you know
1: visionary guy
0: yeah that's that's awesome um now as we kind of you know get get close to wrapping up here um make a little, little shift here and maybe some some recommendations some things that you like uh do you do you listen to uh, to podcasts or you know books on well if not on tape anymore but audiobooks <laughs> uh,
1: i have to say no okay um what i try what, what i do every day the first thing every morning is i read the seattle times mm-hmm. And it's not because I'm in love with the print, what I'm in love with is the core concept of journalism being a combination of what you want to read and what you ought to read. Sure. And okay. the only way to do that is with a paper that puts all of that together and you may be going to look at the comics or something you're, you're looking forward to, but driving by you say, oh, gee, oh, I didn't know that, I ought, I ought to know about that. Whereas with the internet, we're smarter than we ever were. Well, well let me back up.
0: <laughs> more with information the internet, that, we have yeah. more information than <laughs> sure. we
1: ever do, but we're dumber than we ever have been because sure. people go to their niches right. and they don't do the stuff that they ought to do. And so, um, you know, I know there's a lot of great podcasts and listening to audiobooks. <laughs> Up until just recently, we had a car for twenty years that for the last fifteen years it didn't even have a radio in it'cause mm-hmm. it was because it it broke and i w- i I didn't want to spend the money to repair yeah. so even in the car, I haven't been
0: listening to the radio up until just now sure <laughs> uh, i I think that's a, a, a interesting perspective on the newspaper I hadn't really thought about it in those terms'cause i mean uh I have observed obviously online it's the unless you really go out of your way. You know, you're pretty much only consuming stuff that agrees with your worldview. You know, absolutely. And, uh, and so we get more and more, you know, isolated, more and more, you know,
1: uh, divided. I don't think you
0: know, but I mean, the newspaper. I mean, that's I don't think it's an
1: accident. Know? We're more polarized than ever. No, b- because yeah, of sure. that. But,
0: but, but I, I, yeah.
1: And so, it doesn't have to be physical paper. But I have yet to come up or see something that does the same kind of thing that brings us. Sure you know when i was young you know people would revolt against the mainstream mm-hmm. right and there were good reasons for that but there's also good reasons for a mainstream for for there to be something that all of us in society are informed about and aware about rather than being in these niches because mm-hmm. i think by being informed about the things that we ought to be informed about we make better decisions And and we're able to converse with each other more, Mm -hmm. instead of sticking in our silos. Right,
0: (laughs) right. Well, I mean, I like I appreciate the the perspective that the print paper brings. You're going to come across stuff that you know maybe of interest, or you know Mm -hmm. maybe it's not. But you're like, I should know this, or this is you know a different perspective than what I would normally you know consume. And that was
1: what was pounded into my brain back in journalism school from '69 to '74. Sure. And it took me. Almost six years to get through school because I kept cutting class to go write for the school paper. <laughs> sure, sure.
0: Well, I got, I got uh, guess a question for you on, on, that since you know you do have a, a journalism background. Um, you know, you, you kind of hear about you know the good old days of journalism when the when it, the goal was to be you know non-objective, uh, to be obje- sorry to be objective. Um, you know, it seems like nowadays everything's just partisan and like the the big critique isn't so much that you know what different avenues, different you know, stations that, that they're uh, biased, so to speak, but that they don't acknowledge their bias as if they're objective, you know? Um, I mean, d- does it seem like the, the old days of unbiased journalism is, is gone, or do you still see elements of people actually trying to present news without a spin?
1: You know, the media organizations that I admire the most are the ones that have been around the longest. And have been steeped in the traditions of journalistic ethics, mm-hmm. and the, the the sort of the, the three-legged stool of fair, complete, and accurate. Mm-hmm. I mean, these things are part of uh, long-standing uh, journalistic uh, tradition. And and you're right that we don't see a lot of that anymore. It's like to heck, you know, don't confuse me with facts. You know, sure. we we've got a. We've got a, 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 a oh, I, I forget the phrase, but we, you know, we've, we've got an axe to grind. That's what I was looking for. Sure. And uh, it's important, I mean, and the, you say the good old days of journalism. There were bad journalists and there were sensational journalists and all of that. Sure. Please, let's, let's acknowledge that. But the core of journalism is a profession. It's not called the fourth estate for nothing. In other words, um, there's the three branches of the federal government and the fourth estate is there to keep watch on them all sure. and to uh, afflict the comforted and to comfort the afflicted. I mean, it's, you know, people, oh, for all my life I've heard, you know, oh, it's just, journalism is just so much bad news. But I really think of bad news as good news in disguise because it's really showing things that are not going so well. And and maybe motivating people to be informed enough to change it so that we can improve things. Mm-hmm. That's the whole core of journalism, is that if we know more, we'll make better decisions. Sure. Hopefully. And there are still journalism schools <laughs> yeah. teaching that, okay. and there are still media, you know, I mean, the Seattle Times does a great job of, of trying to do that. We used to have two papers, I loved that. We had the Seattle Post Intelligence, but because of the the forces at work to make money with this online stuff, and I mean, newspapers are a dying breed, unfortunately. Okay. Um, but they're still, even with their reduced staffs, they're doing their best to 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 serve that journalistic tradition. On a national level, you know, you've got the New York Times, the Washington Post. You've okay. got um, these uh, truly uh, long-standing traditional places that, 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 that are, I mean, you saw the movie Spotlight, I'm sure, a couple of years ago, at won Best Picture, okay. and it was all about the New York Times newsroom, you know, and the idea is, is that, it, you know, you're not gonna make a lot of money doing great journalism, you really aren't. It's, yeah. not, it's not about being on TV and being pretty and doing a 30-second story. To do really in-depth, quality journalism you you got to love it mm-hmm. because that's your true payment. Sure. And journalists are definitely there to change the world in the sense that they are there to bring all information to light. In fact, bend over backwards from what you personally believe to bring out everything from all sides so that the public can have uh, the, the best information to use to make decisions. Sure. Um, I'll I just I'll believe in that forever. Okay. And And the more that society can embrace that the better how exactly that's going to happen in this online world i don't know sure
0: have you I don't know have you seen or i don't know if you've you know kept track or whatever i mean from you know i think the the, the traditional you know seems like the traditional approach has been you know go to journalism school and get a job at a, you know a, a well-established you know organization or paper or magazine or something uh with you know the proliferation Proliferation of you know internet and self publications and and you know uh, and whatnot. It seems like there's a lot more people just kind of doing it you know maybe as a hobby or <laughs> or some you know sort of alter- alter- alternative fashion. I mean, does it seem like the actual like journalism school and going that traditional route is is on the decline?
1: I'm sure it is. I haven't put a study to it, yeah. but I'm sure that it is. It's a you. You talked about the word culture earlier, and it's a part of our culture now to to do your own thing. And the technology has allowed us to produce publications or to be online. Sure, uh, do a podcast. Uh, <laughs> do a podcast. Yeah. You know, as if you know, as if you had a lot of training to do it. Sure, you yeah, know? I've got no. But now, sort of anybody guy. can do it, sure. and it's 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 similar in the world of book publishing. Uh-huh the traditions of book publishing are, are, are changing by the day. Sure, there's no gatekeeper
0: of you, know, you have to have a publisher in order to get, get your book you know, out
1: there. Right, you know. and there's a downside to being self-published, is that you don't have the credibility of a publisher sure. that, that gets you in the door, that gets you on radio stations for interviews, but you know, podcasts may be the way... I mean, it's, it's this foggy future of sure. communication that, that i don 't think anybody can really see i 'm sure that there are people who want to make big money on it who have got a vision for how this should work, mm-hmm. but their goal is to make money. Their goal is not to serve journalistic tradition Now you know newspapers of course they made money, and of course they uh, had wretched excess, and of course they, they, they didn't they made mistakes and mm-hmm. whatever. But the core of it was there. Um, what I said earlier, you're not going to get rich being a journalist if you're a good journalist, is, is true. Mm-hmm. It's true. You know, you're, you're, you're going to make the most money going into the corporate world in some way or the other. Mm-hmm. And communication has become the corporate world. Um, you know, where, where I mean, why these days are we talking about fake news? there should it shouldn't even be out there but sure. it's it's like the
0: just easy way to discredit you know somebody you don't agree with but
1: <laughs> well there is that but <laughs> it's the also the there cl- are people intentionally culture, out sure. there little trolls if you will sure. sitting in a dark room in the middle of the night putting out misinformation sure. you know intentionally making up stuff yeah and you know we didn't we didn't have a lot of that in earlier days you know but you know it yeah, there's... it's a it's it's a it's a really hard and complex nut to solve and sure. to predict. Sure, there's, um, there's
0: clearly pros and cons of of the the changing you know face mm-hmm. of journalism. I think one
1: thing you can do though is walk your talk. I mean, subscribe to a newspaper, have it delivered at your doorstep. If mm-hmm. you really believe in quality journalism, then don't just criticize it from afar, but but put some of your own money into mm-hmm. into uh, paying for it you know sure. that's that's one of the that's one of the kind of bizarre things of the internet is that most everything on the internet is free and the, and we've got a culture who thinks that that's the way news ought to be like it just materializes by itself sure. but to get good journalists to, to do to do, to to reveal the information that we ought to know and get it from people who don't want to tell it to you, who who have an interest in secrecy, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. It takes some money. Sure. Somebody's got to do that. And and yet, and yet, we've got a whole generation of people who, who think that it, oh, it just comes free. And geez, look at all this stuff on the internet. I'm informed. We are not informed. <laughs> mm-hmm. We 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 need to invest as a society in the values that journalism provides and, and uphold the fourth estate.
0: Okay. So speaking of uh, journalism and the, the print medium, uh, do you have a favorite book that you'd recommend to our listeners? You know, if you want to get
1: inspired about something, I think the, the ultimate best job out there, and I bow down to anybody, is, is somebody who's a teacher. And the book that has inspired me the most about the teaching profession is the first book by the famous author Pat Conroy. It's called The Water is Wide.
0: Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah.
1: And it was made into a movie called Conrack, and John Voigt was the star of it in 1974. Water is Wide came out, I believe, in 1969. And it's an account of his one year as a teacher um, in a rural, all black uh, island off of the Carolinas, and I mean, that story will just grab you, and it's not fiction. He's known for his fiction, but this is a memoir uh, that was written right after that year, so there's a lot of great books, but
0: I'd throw that one out there. Okay, Um, and then as we wrap up, what was one piece of parting guidance you'd like to leave with us? You've given us so much already.
1: Have No Fear. Assume that when you take the risk to communicate with somebody that something good will come out of it. It won't always happen every time. Mm -hmm. But take the risk. Say hello to somebody out on the street. Pick up the phone. Don't just hide out in our homes watching whatever. Um, Life is about engagement. So in order to make that happen You've got to assume that good things will come out of this kind of outreach, so, so shed your fear. Okay. You know, so much, so much in life that holds us back can be reduced to that one word of fear. So take the risk to engage other people.
0: Okay. And uh, what is the best way for our listeners to find out more about the, the Southwest uh, Seattle Historic Society? I'm railing about the internet and I'm going to give you a website.
1: (laughs) But our website is loghousemuseum.info. If you want a landline phone number, it's 206-938-5293. One great thing is that you can sign up on our website for our email blasts that go out uh, every week or two with all kinds of information about uh, the activities we're doing. If you become a member, you also get a print newsletter. (laughs) Memberships start at $25 a year for an individual, $15 for a senior, and then they go on up into the higher categories. Um, And so you can get a print newsletter. But things are happening so fast that often email is the best way to get that information. Sure. Sure. And then the local media. I got to stick up for the local media. Uh, The West Seattle Herald is still going under the moniker of uh, West Side Seattle. And then there's the West Seattle Blog, which is a truly phenomenal. It's been around for 10 years. Uh, The couple, Tracy Record and Patrick Sand, who do it, uh, I don't know when they sleep. Um, But they have created something that's not only serving our community, but is truly special in the nation. Mm -hmm. Uh, People in West Seattle get spoiled, and they think, that, oh, every neighborhood or every community or city has one of these. Nah, uh right. And Tracy and Patrick come from the traditional world of journalism, mm-hmm. and they have high ethics, and their work ethic is strong as well. And we are fortunate that people can find out about our activities through the blog and yeah. through the Herald.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you're... Local West Seattle, everyone knows West Seattle blogs where you go for the most you know current you know what's what's going on. So it's uh, they as of right now that episode isn't published, but I, but I interviewed Tracy for the podcast too, and looking forward to uh, getting that out to the community. But so thank you Clay for your time, I, I appreciate it. Um, it's interesting to hear, you know more about your background and and about the society, and uh, yeah, appreciate your time.
1: Thank you, thank you. It's a great opportunity. Um, and what you're doing is a good contribution to the, everything we've been talking about. I mean, if, if we get people talking about West Seattle,
0: what could be better? Yeah, yep, yeah, trying to do my part. So. All right, thanks again. That wraps up this week's episode. Make sure to check out our guest website, pay them a visit, and otherwise support what they're doing. If you have questions, know someone who should be a guest here or has a story worth sharing, email me at christianharris at ctown.com. That's s-e-a-town.com. I would also be honored if you could go to iTunes and leave us a review and a nice five-star rating. We work hard to bring on great guests and provide exceptional content. And getting a review from you is one way to help the podcast rank well on iTunes so others can find and enjoy the show as well. You can also find out more about me, how my real estate indie brokerage and our conventional approach can help you with your Seattle and Eastside real estate needs and other projects I'm working on by visiting ctown.com. That's S-E-A hyphen town.com. Thanks for listening. Today's intro and outro music is courtesy of the Fascination Movement. You can find their albums in the iTunes store. The Seatown town podcast creator and host is Christian Harris. You can listen to more episodes and find all our show notes on our website at That's seatownpodcast.com That's S-E-A hyphen townpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in a week for our next episode. This has been a C-Town Media production.